like, Paco, stop laughing. And when, like, the teacher's telling you to stop laughing, all that makes you want to oh, do is, like, oh, totally. it's not controllable. <laughs> you're like, I'm trying to stop. I really am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now you're just making it worse. Yeah. It's like, or like when one of your parents are yelling at you. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And, like, for some reason, it's not funny. But you're just like, you can't help but crack. They're like, stop laughing. What are you laughing for? Like, I don't know. It's either nervous laughter or it's just funny to see you angry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's Andy that you guys are all trying to be so serious. when I'm Just just so stupid. I don't know. Like, that's the best part. That's the best. We're such irreverent assholes. (laughs) 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 Nothing is sacred. I'm just kidding. I'll speak for myself on that. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I would say we all fit that bill. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, all right, welcome to hey. the Vulgar Tours. <laughs> yeah, welcome, guys. Thanks for listening. I hope you like this episode. Um, yeah, please remember to rate, and subscribe. <laughs> Find us on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Where we don't post a whole lot, but you know what? We try. Well, I was going to say, Paco, you agreed to this invitation to um, oh, come record with us this evening when really we fooled you into talking about Jennifer's body again. Because oh, Evan saw it, and now we're doing part two, so strap in. We're not talking invitation. We're talking gin, body. Just yeah, let me drink the wine. We're talking reiteration. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to re-record no, Eon no, Flux. No, 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 no. And so it's... <laughs> yeah, we missed out on a lot of things there. <laughs> I'd rather rewatch Eon Flux than Jennifer's body. Dude. Eon See? Flux is just boring. Jennifer's body is like abrasively bad (laughs) it's interesting on how bad it is no it's just Just like abrasively bad yeah it's just everything is unlikable (laughs) well you know what's the opposite of that the invitation invitation. yeah Ah. at least that's that's me giving my my two cents off the bat Mm -hmm. is that I like this movie a lot uh should I do an intro yeah let's do it Welcome to the Vulgar Tours, where we go through the filmographies of genre filmmakers. We are in the midst of our series on Karin Kusama, and this week we are talking The Invitation. I'm Paco. I'm Jason. I'm Evan. And I'm also smitten. Yeah, this is this was one of the reasons why I really wanted to explore Karn Kusama's filmography. Um, I saw this fairly recently, like within the last like two or three years. And I went into it the, like, not to say there's a correct way, but I mean, like I didn't see a trailer. I didn't know what the movie was about. It was my, my girlfriend's choice. And she was like, you've never seen this. And so we put it on and it, it, it blew my mind. It, it, I don't remember an American movie of the last, like, I mean, there have been a lot of great movies, but it's like, this one really stands out in how, no matter where you look, there's something really fascinating going on, whether it's the sound design, the script, the way that it's shot, the way it's lit, like, everything about this kind of hits me um, in a really, like, 
it, it there's so many striking things about this movie that it's not just like a thriller or a horror movie. It's like a, it is kind of an emotional, sad, like horror movie that's kind of similar mm-hmm. to like the last, you know, uh, I'd say like the last 10 years, you're seeing more of these movies that are like hereditary in uh midsomar you know with same filmmaker but it's like you're seeing these kind of how grief uh the babadook how grief can kind of the intrinsic value of grief and pain and suffering like horror is subjective and i think that's the fascinating Mm -hmm. part of this movie is is that it's there's some things that are so frightening that or not on camera, but it's, I don't know. I'm not explaining it right. <laughs> this movie rocks though. Well, it's, I think it's, it's, yeah, I think it's a lot of uh, it, just the intrinsic value of the film comes from the feelings of the film and the feelings that I feel like we can all sort of connect with, especially when it comes, well, you know, maybe not all of us, but when it comes to the character of Will, who ultimately is this character who's walking into the situation trepidatiously and with a lot of suspicion for something out of the norm. And it was, it's his, he has a particular, for the events that happened between him and his ex-wife Eden, who is hosting this party with her partner, David, um, they, you want to go into the, the, the plot, like in, and say kind of like bait, like, like, or to like set it up for like, the setup is he's going, he hasn't seen his ex-wife in two years. They divorced after the death of their son. And uh, she invited him to a fucking party for some reason. Yeah, after it, two years. Yeah. Of not knowing where they were, no contact. At, at their old house with her new husband and with all their friends and some new friends. Well, the thing I was trying to get to earlier is is that yeah, sorry. Will is coming into this um, as somebody who you know experienced the death of their son and has been coping with that reality in his own way, and he comes into this party and Eden, his ex wife, who you know it's his ex wife, they both lost their son. She, he's seeing how she's coping with it. And part, I feel like, part of his emotions and the way he acts in the throughout the whole night and his suspicions and his kind of agitation through everything is based around him seeing what he perceives as a level of denial from her. She's all hunky dory. Everything's back. Everything's okay now. Like she's ignoring the pain that like it's been two years, but like everybody experiences pain differently. Oh, it definitely, it definitely does. But like on a surface level denial, like, it's it's more than that. It's yeah, they coped with it mm-hmm. in different ways, and it's clear that like Will's way of dealing with it is evaluating everything as a much greater risk than it might be. He seems like a very very paranoid dude in general. Yeah. So you put him in the situation where he's gonna have cause to be paranoid, and he freaks the fuck out which honestly can't blame him yeah um with everything with everything that happens at the party he mentions even like you know with everybody that's invited everything that's going on like 
this this is a strange night. Like, why is everybody acting like this is normal? This isn't normal behavior for anybody. It's so also out. a great way of formatting and structuring this film where you know that it's going to build up to some sort of climax, but you don't know on a first watch what it's going to be because so much of it is internal and it's, you know, you see things kind of subjectively through his eyes. So you understand why he's freaking out, but then you also sort of can cut back to real life when everybody is like, what the fuck is going on with you? So you like, I, on my first watch years ago, I was like, is this going to be like him completely like breaking down and going crazy? Or is it going to be something more? And is he the gonna be fact, <laughs> yeah. And the fact that both routes seem equally plausible as the movie is progressing, especially, and we're might not have said it off the top spoilers as always. If you haven't seen this movie, really recommend you go watch it before listening to this. It's on Netflix. Yeah. It fucking rules. Yeah, for we're sure. going to cover a lot of things. So uh, but you guys watch it first. One of the things that really stands out to me in terms of setting up the paranoia is, you know, they start out the movie. They're like, Troy's always late. Where's Troy? Uh, like that, that asshole is like the latest Korea in all of LA, Korean in all of LA. And so then like, you know, two thirds of the way through when you get that message saying that he'd gotten there early, you're like, Oh fuck, they must have murdered him. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, like five minutes later, when Troy actually shows up, uh, you're like after after yeah. Will's had that huge explosion on everybody being like this is all shit where the fuck like, is Troy yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, it just it's so good because you're with him you're like something is up they fucked up Troy and then Troy shows up and you're like oh is this all like a huge misunderstanding yeah and it it just balances on that needle's edge so well for it's only like an 80 minute movie or maybe yeah, it's like it's, 100 movie 100 minutes yeah i think short. it's only about 100 minutes it's short and it maintains that tension after like the first 15 minutes it's tense pretty much throughout which is really hard to do and I mean, if I'm being honest, given the last three movies we watched, it's quite an achievement because I haven't seen this level of tonal balance in the previous work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was like a six or seven year difference between yeah. them um, in that Directors Guild podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she she mentioned how like she really was trying to get funding done. Her her uh, partner, her husband, Phil Hay and Matt Manfredi yeah. um, uh, co-wrote the script and they also collaborated for Eon Flux. But this movie is, I think, an achievement for all three of them. Like it, it shows also like an amazing balance between, I, now granted, I haven't read the script, I would love to, but these like screen, like the, the screenplay and what shot, like it, it just, it seems like they were on set there and that there was some fusion going on because it's it it's so captivating that it doesn't it, it like it doesn't feel just singular to the script being amazing and the or the direction being amazing like they inform the audience um 
in these really subtle ways where it doesn't really give you the Hitchcock like, oh, you know, there's a bomb in the room and the characters don't. Mm -hmm. So you have this tension. It's also fucking with you, too, as the viewer. There are so many ways where you're kind of questioning Will as well. Um, There's a a director's statement with the Blu-ray that I have of this movie um, where Karn Kusama is is saying, um, do we believe in his uh, quote? Do we believe in his fears or dismiss them as even some of his older friends do? Does Will's grief separate him from the reality in front of him? Or is it bringing his reality into sharper relief? In seeing the world largely through Will's unstable point of view, the audience is asking who is truly to be feared in this group? Who or what is genuinely dangerous? Because there's moment, uh, end quote, there's moments where you also kind of don't know if this is all in Will's head of the grief or the trauma that he experienced in this house. I mean, even if you remove all of the thriller stuff from this movie, going to your ex-wife's house after the death of a child invited with all of your friends and then meeting her new husband would be tense regardless. Mm. And so the idea that they ratchet it up as much as they do, you're kind of at unease the entire time for that reason going into it. And uh, I mean, that's pretty remarkable. Um, I mean, it starts with a bad omen of like the coyote scene. Like the movie starts with Kira, his, uh, his girlfriend, um, and him driving to the house. So it's like, you already know that they got the invitation to come over. Like they're on their way when a coyote darts out and he has to, uh, kill the coyote because it's to be, Mm -hmm. um, pinned under the car and you're seeing, you're seeing for one, what will is capable of. So you're like, we saw him kill something in the first I mean, it it wasn't like he was hesitating and it made a big... Almost emotionlessly. It was kind of like, oh, it's the right thing to do. Like, it was pragmatic. Yeah. Like, it just was yeah. interesting. So right off the bat, you're also like, okay, we also don't really know all of Will, like, Will's story and where he's coming from because it slowly kind of fleshes out, you know, some things, um, you know, but it, it draws you out large enough to think okay am i crazy is is what he's thinking is you know going on is that inaccurate like it it kind of it pulls from those great paranoid thrillers of the 70s um like kusama mentions uh the parallax view but i was also thinking of the game uh david fincher's the game with uh michael douglas and uh sean penn okay then i'm not gonna it stinks I like it, but I don't want to ruin Like, I'm not going to, there's something that happens in it that it's, it's just in terms of like the Rosemary's baby uh, complexity of making sure that uh, you're highlighting the gaslighting where all of the characters are saying, no, I mean, you're just, you're overreacting, man. Everything's okay. When really there is like something going on, like your wife. But I think what really, I, I think what makes it more interesting is that, half the characters aren't in on it um yeah that's true they're They're kind of just they're seeing it i think uh what really helps is is will being the main protagonist and he is on this level of paranoia that heightens a lot of his senses for things that seem to be awful everybody else is like even um manuel and tommy are like hey this is la they're harmless like 
it, mm-hmm. let's just have a good it's time. Weird. They're trying. Yeah. It's wi- like, Will, I think you're overreacting. I think uh, what kind of did it for me in understanding, I don't know if this was a point of the film or what Kusama was like, like if it was meant to be put into the story, but already I think in this day and age, I'll speak for myself in this. I already have a certain level of trepidation and suspiciousness for people in some sort of like religious cult of any sort of kind. Yeah. So when that that's sort of brought up early enough in the movie, it's like, mm. oh, the reason they're all the hosts, Eden and David, and even their friends Pruitt and um, what's her name, uh, Sadie, are they are acting on that level of like, you're too good to be true, feeling good, happy, nice. Oh, you're a part of a cult. Something has to happen. So like, there's oh, just that. Oh, one of that- you is a convicted murderer. Uh, yes. Like, that yes. was great. That was fucking <laughs> like, you're like, I am well, going you to leave this the party right, fucking right move. now. <laughs> yes, Claire made the absolute right move. Yeah. But uh, it, like what I mean, it's like, I wonder if that is something I, w- I want to know if that was something that you guys also thought of is like, it's like already we know what's going to happen. We know what this movie is going to be about within the situation. Like you don't walk into this movie and like within the first hour go, oh, they're probably not all going to be poisoned or killed or something. You know, that's going to happen, but you're just wondering when, and maybe there's a little bit of like, no, I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, maybe we're just I overreacting, said, I don't but know. Like, the cult sort of thing kind of, I think gave it away for me where it's like, because they're these kinds of folks, but again, that could something be malicious is paranoia. That's a good point. Cause and it's like, like one person. I wasn't wrong, but actually yes. like, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's, what, that's such an interesting part of this movie because basically the conceit of the movie of the invitation is kind of like the secret where it's like, these people have started a uh it's not like not a religious like a spiritual group and they have this guru and it's all about uh ending pain and suffering and this is what eden discovered and is really into and so right when the party's getting started they're like hey we just need to like show you this video and it's giving you some information about their belief system and right away one of the characters i think gina is like Oh, it's like Marilyn Manson or Colty. And so it's informing you to go, okay, we know what a cult is. And we also know that like, it doesn't, they don't mention them by name, but it's largely kind of like Heaven's Gate, uh, Jim Jones, where it's like, you know, the, how some of these turn out where Mm -hmm. they're poisoned or they, they, you know, uh, kill themselves like a mass suicide. On this watch, knowing where it was going it kind of made me think of have either of you seen the sacrament which i think also came out in 2015 no oh it's made by ty west and it's Mm -hmm. a found footage movie where it's the gist is like it's a world where jonestown wasn't a thing and um interesting a vice crew goes to this cult because one of the camera people's sister is in it and they're like reporting on it. And then I think it's, it might be Michael Parks is the cult leader. It's some great actor. Uh, it's, that's not Red State. Oh, maybe Parks I'm confusing that. Uh, let me pull it up. Uh, but anyways, so it's a world 
where it didn't like Jonestown didn't happen in the seventies and it happens in front of them. I think it's Gene Jones Mm. who plays like the cult leader, but it's like Mm. not nearly as well executed as this movie. Um, but has that similar vibe of like that one, there's no suspense. You know, there's only one way it can go because why are all these people acting so weird in a found footage movie if they're not going to kill people? But um, yeah, just the weird kind of synchronicity of those two movies coming out near each other and like, because cult again cult murder is incredibly rare and i feel yeah. like we don't see it that often in movies and but it's publicized enough in like you know documentaries or like the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that is sort of mainstream that i feel like it's and again i'll speak for myself but i feel like within the zeitgeist when people hear the word cult they assume it's like oh people who are into you know death and I think it's a, another interesting point is like their their philosophy for the invitation isn't really explored very much with like what they believe in other than what they see in this video that is shown to the party that essentially is a snuff film. It's like there's nothing else that doesn't associate the invitation as a philosophy and a quote unquote religion other like separate from death being something like the whole the whole time they talk about it they're all the characters are like just all the people who are involved with the invitation gene david pruitt and sadie are like it just made me a better person it made me like release all this stuff but everything else that we see or that we hear about it involves death as being like don't be afraid of dying and like it made me realize that it's okay Mm -hmm. to die so it's kind of like it's a really interesting it's really interesting how they don't really explore what the invitation is. And they're in, you know, they're trying to make all their guests feel like, no, we're not, we're not trying to convert you or anything. And even David's like, no, it's not a cult. It's something else. It's something different. But Claire points out, like, it feels like you guys are trying to sell us on something. This party went, it keeps going in Mm -hmm. all these different directions and going through these roller coasters of like, Oh, we we're okay. Now we're playing a game. We're going to have fun. And then, oh, now we hear this fucking story that involves the invitation. It's like in all these moments, at that point too, it's hard for the audience to not be on Will's side to be like, yeah, you guys, or and on Claire's side being like, yeah, you guys, this isn't a party. It sounds like you're really just trying to get us to be in this cult. And the only thing we know about this cult is that I, it I involves also, death. Death is uh, the main part of it and being and accepting death. I, I will say one of the things that would make me suspicious is I have never been in a house where you can't unlock the doors from the yes. inside on your own. No matter if there's a home invasion <laughs> at one point, who the fuck's going to do a home invasion oh, yeah. when there's like 11 people there? Like the Manson family. Well, well, I think there's true. a, part, there's a part where David, uh, the, the husband, like he put the key in a lock in the, like to the front door and like the key you know, is inserted mm-hmm. So that makes me think that you can lock the door from the inside and keep the key. Yeah, exactly. That was the point. It's like he locked the door, but it's in such a way that wasn't like a deadbolt where you can unlock it from the inside, which was suspicious enough for anybody. I I think that this movie is so heartbreaking. And that was where I kind of um, 
assume well like eden uh so uh amber uh blanchard uh or tammy blanchard excuse me um plays eden and it's like her friends are like kind of giving her like oh like i am so glad we came to this dinner party to watch someone die because the the video is Mm -hmm. basically a disciple of the invitation this religious group who's dying on camera from like cancer or something. And they're kind of accepting her and watching her die in a way that kind of it's, there's a, uh, I can see Paco rolling his eyes, but there's a, there's a death cap for cutie song called what Sarah said. That's like, uh, you know, uh, love is watching someone die. And it's kind of the idea that you are, there for someone's last vulnerable moments to be able to celebrate the idea that they are transferring is kind of beautiful. And then you see Eden and she just as uh, Claire is saying what the audience is thinking, like, what the fuck? Eden is going like, why are you staring at me like that? Or like the way that she performs, it's just so devastating because you're like, they lost their son and you have will on one side who, you know, his hair's grown out, his beard's grown out, and he's clearly completely lost in some sort of grief that is also between him and Kira, because him and Kira's girlfriend don't really have, a con- like, not that you really see a connection, you know, with, like, she's mm-hmm. kind of distant, which Sadie picks up on. But it's, on the flip side, Eden has found this light in her life because the end of the world happened when her son died. And so when you're seeing them judge her and you as the viewer is also going Mm -hmm. like Jesus Christ to have that performer sell that so well, you're not looking at someone who's crazy. You're looking at the, the idea that like life is really hard and tough and um, part of their motivations to do what they do are super tragic. It's there's no darkness. There's just reunion. They think that they're doing something special for all of them to be together. And that's the that's the sad part about it. That is one of the most interesting parts of the movie in my mind is. uh, Yeah, I think one of the reasons I feel like this movie works a lot better than uh, Kusama's others is there one of the most important things both as an actor and as a director is understanding all your characters, even the villains and the villains in this movie feel so thoroughly thought out. Like you understand why they're doing it because it's their way of processing their own grief and loss. And so they're tragic figures in their own way. And it's so devastating in a way that, you know, characters in a lot of the other movies haven't had that. And that's not necessarily on Kusama. That's a lot on scripts that don't give characters that much to do because without giving them that inner life, it's hard for an actor or a director to bring it out. Um, But this just every, the whole thing works together. And, you know, when the fucking wine bottle scene happens, like, yeah, you feel some empathy. Like you're glad that they're 
finally took out the Zodiac killer, but you're also like, but he's, he's also, he's also, you know, Maud's husband. Who's a mm-hmm. sweet, you know, a sweet artist. Uh, well, um, go, going going from that, if I could if I could quote uh, Kusama's uh, director's statement again, um, she says, "quote There are no real uh, quote movie villains end quote here in my mind. Only some incredibly damaged, messed up people who do extremely destructive things in moments of intense vulnerability and in the name of an apocalyptic faith. If there is a villain in this movie, it's the cultural resistance to incorporating grief and conflict in our lives." in a real and present way. It's the rage that can accompany our bafflement at the world and its unpredictable nature, end quote. It's like, this movie shows Kusama genuinely understanding these characters front and back. And we're talking like 10 or 12 characters in long scenes where you also like, thinking of production wise, like keeping this alive in the background of like, they have these breakout moments where maybe Will is sitting on the stairs with Claire and okay, they look like insiders and they're really kind of talking and stuff, but like to grapple this many characters and to kind of like get to know all of these backstories in quick fragments, um, you know, between like Tommy and his, uh, uh, Miguel is his partner or his yeah, husband. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, that's really challenging to have this tight, you know, shorter length thriller movie, this many characters that you really care about so that by the time that things start occurring, you also empathize with the villains of the movie because they're just as broken as you are, as these people are. Um, One of the, uh, we were talking earlier just through like text that, uh, uh, John Carroll Lynch um, plays uh, Pruitt, who's kind of like he's kind of like the guard. He's he's the one making sure that the night goes according to plan. Like yeah, he seems like well. the muscle. Yeah. Kind of. And uh, yeah. even in that scene where he takes the gun away from David. God, that scene. Yeah, but like in the sense of he's a guard. Right? Uh, like- there's like a, a screening room that Kira and Will are hiding in and uh, Pruitt is looking for them because this is after all hell has broken out and they're going around trying to kill everyone because spoilers, they no one drank the wine except Gina, which was poison. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Kira so kind of like takes over and becomes the protector of Will in this way. And, and uses like a blunt object to like kill Pruitt. But the way that John Carroll Lynch, like he emotes, he has this like startling uh, squeal that, that's, yeah. it's, it stays with you. And Kusama was talking about how curious it was when uh, she would be at screenings and audiences would react differently. Whereas some would go like cheer, like, oh, the villain is being killed. The way that, the way that he's killed and who you know him to be, it's more of a sad long silence or it is during my watch because it's just like he could be realizing that he ultimately made the wrong choice that, Oh, I was killing people like this isn't a way to ascend to whatever I I believe in, but it's also just the fact that everyone is in pain. You know, I don't want to jump too far, but it's like the, the complexity of the ultimate and it's again it's twist after twist after twist kind of in a way that respects the audience it's not just like a a cheap trick where it's just like 
like just a dumb show off you like oh look how stupid you are you didn't see that it's like the last twist where uh kira and will are looking out on all the other lanterns that are lit it's not just the idea that like oh you have all these other invitation movies happening all, all at once it's the idea that you're mm. dealing with and it's illuminated by how much pain and suffering is around you that people would go to these drastic yeah, measures to remove themselves. I mean, that movie, yes, everybody's I mean, that sort of, you know what it made me think of place. this time. All right. Huh. It's your turn to roll your eyes at me. QAnon. Uh, because it was because like people don't buy into conspiracy theories like that. If your life is going well and yeah. like, this insane prevalence of it and how it's exploded everywhere over the last few years. You're, like, I completely agree with you that what I took away this time was less the horror of it happening in everywhere and more the grief that must have caused that. And it made me think of where we are as a society and how, you know, who knows how many of our neighbors think that we're secretly democratic pedophile child traffickers or whatever you know um and Mm -hmm. it's just when things start to break down people look for comfort and they don't look in the best places a lot of the time that's a great point every (laughs) i think i think that's where jason you touched upon this too um that kusama talks about in the director's guild of america podcast is like her ideas and she sort of, I think, uh, I believe, touches upon this too in the uh, shout out to the Fright Night podcast. The um, interviewer, there's a video on YouTube you can watch, um, and she talks about how, uh, just based on you know the budget of this movie and how quickly they needed to get it done, and it being an indie movie, and they don't have you know all this time and space to you know meet with everybody. Everybody's schedules are kind of mixed up. A lot of the time, it was just running through everything as quickly as they could. They didn't have enough time. They didn't have enough money to do all this coverage for characters. So she had to do a lot of things on mm-hmm. the fly. And a lot of the things that I think it was interesting that she mentioned was that her discovering more of the story as she went along of being like, well, is my protagonist of this movie really the protagonist? Like the antagonist I have in their own right could be protagonist just because they i'm we're trying to show that everybody has pain in their own life and you know the end sort of gives it away mm-hmm. of who's supposed to be the antagonist or not but it's i, th- I thought that was really really interesting too because even for her as the director the person who knows where the story's supposed to be going who's working with this as as the production goes along even her being like you know it's this is a really like just going from my space this is a really complicated story and it's something that even eden says like in um not will's last blow up but his penultimate blow up Mm -hmm. eden is like like you can't judge us for how we like paraphrasing but you can't judge us for how we cope with things i don't do that to you like it's all right like i understand for you growing up but don't you can't judge us and be so paranoid about something you don't understand because you're not us and that's also something that will says to david he's like i don't presume to know what happened with you and your wife and the pain that you had and you don't know me you never will and i feel like that is a very resonant line throughout most of this movie is everybody's pain is different and the way we cope about it is 
very, very different and very particular and individual. That's one of the things that I wish more movies could find a way to do is flesh out all their characters. Obviously, it's difficult. You've got usually less than two hours to make multiple characters seem real. Um, But just in terms of, as I said, it gives actors and directors so much more room to work with and building the inner lives and finding a really grounded performance. Um, And it's literally one of the first things they teach you as a director is like, every character has a reason to do it. Like find out why the bad guy's doing it, whether it's fucking, I guess Sauron isn't an actor, but whether it's (laughs) fucking Voldemort or whether it's, you know, Hitler, like, Hey, um, he who shall not be named, yeah. okay? But like, Please. you have to find a way uh-huh. to empathize with that character before you even work with your actor. Uh, and you have to find a way for the actor to get into the character and emphasize with it and be like, well, yeah, I mean, of course everyone thinks he's a really awful guy, but like, look, understand where he's coming from. Like, this would bring a lot of structure to the galaxy. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, in the in the draft house, uh, films version of the of this movie, the the Blu-ray, the uh, the commentary uh, has so much awesome information. Like oh, Kusama said that they shot the movie chronologically, and that's wow. super fascinating. Wow. And she also said that most of the actors had worked with each other in some capacity, mm-hmm. so they were kind of familiar with each other. And that's so f- interesting to me because it makes the last act of the movie ring that much harder because I can't imagine to corral this much tension, keep it ratcheting up with these subtle tricks where it's just like, Oh, you're seeing someone talking to Will, but Will is focusing on something else, trying to see if Claire is getting home safe, you know, like leaving safely. Oh, mm-hmm. he's pulled away and you, you're yeah. unable to see what's going on. And that makes you feel paranoid. Like what the fuck? And then, Oh, Pruitt comes yeah. in with something under his arm and you're like, wait, what? And then like, it's it's messing with you in such a degree in the idea that by the time that it it ultimately comes to the scene where there is the um, blowout where uh, he receives the message from Choi that oh I just showed up and you know whatever and he's not there and he confronts everyone when Choi does show up the like isolation and uh, apologetic uh heartbreak in uh in, in uh logan uh in logan marshall green's face as someone who has ruined a party i've related to that same. so hard <laughs> oh my god bro. <laughs> I, 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 i've I'm been that like that should be a meme for i've been that guy i still like yeah. that's those are cringers that i that still keep me awake is that meme or uh, the, yeah. of him in this yeah. movie but but genuinely like um, Kusama uh, talks a lot about how like in some of those more emotive scenes she kind of was trying mm-hmm. to find a good um, like level because he could either really over uh, over not saying that he he's a bad performer but like he would over emote to the point where it's like oh let's let's dampen that intensity a little bit yeah, there's a possibility of it so like just on those intense close-ups where it's almost like he's 
feeling persecuted like it's everyone else is character blocked beautifully around this table looking at him and he's just it's mm-hmm. a close up his he's broken like he was broken when he entered yeah. this house because he's entering the house of the last time he had a family and to see that him break in that way and be it's just like it, it's it's so uh beautiful and um it's yeah. like to be able to corral all of that into such a tight movie where no one scene is no one shot is uh not utilized well like it's so well thought out and meticulous that it's just impressive and that's that's not even before you get to like the sound design like the sound design mm-hmm. is yeah is so remarkable because it's for one like there's nothing else that sounds like it but I always go back to the invasion of the body snatchers, the like, <clears throat> like what seventy eight version, the uh, with Donald Sutherland, the Kaufman one. Yeah, like the 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 sound design is is so like intense that it helps with the paranoia, and there's things that are like off putting and off kilter, and the the way that it ratchets up the tension here is so effective, but it's also in like the sparse music, like there's all these. Uh, rhythm sections and it's not really like a melody it's just kind of like conveying this general unease i don't know like i'm thinking the scene that i'm thinking of in particular is when the levee breaks and uh miguel is shot after gina is having or uh or excuse me he pushes uh will pushes sadie because sadie flips out that he ruined their you know ritual yeah and mm-hmm. uh, he pushes her, similar to Pruitt, uh, into yeah. the like marble, and she like is on the floor, and you're like, "Holy fuck!" Like, I love that moment because you're like, "Is she freaking out because he ruined a ritual, or is she freaking out because she's sick of him fucking everything up yeah, all night?" That's long. what she says. <laughs> she just says, "You ruined, you ruined it, you ruined everything." Yeah, she doesn't say what that it was, is. That was awesome. It, it was ritualistic. Like I love how warm and inviting the house is where mm-hmm. you're kind of like on board. It. It's like, it would be appropriate lighting if you were at someone's house. Like it looks, it doesn't look um, Hollywood. It doesn't, it just looks real. It looks regular. I mean, if you lived in the Hollywood Hills, but when it's a, they it's start a classic going up, house, I have a question about the Hollywood Hills, Jason. Yeah. How close are they to like middle of LA? Because the one thing that bugs me about this movie is the cell service. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny that you say that because apparently that is true in the Hollywood Hills. There's some like, I mean, I don't, it's not like that. I, I mean, mm. but, but like, apparently there's a lot of calls and bad Wi-Fi and shit. So all of those rich people really probably don't have good Wi-Fi because all of the wiring and all that shit is really archaic. And I think, because of the city limits or like the the zoning they can't put like a tower that's nearby because uh, you know whatever so i really mm. do think they have bad reception all that all that stuff but um it, it was it was more weird to me because it's not that i know hollywood super well but there's a part where they're on their way to the mansion and paco you were talking that you saw a movie that was shot near our hometown in, in estacada and you're like whenever you see a movie where you know where they shot, you know exactly where the geography is. That doesn't make sense. And so there's a part where like they're driving on a, 
in like a neighborhood on their way to the Hollywood Hills, but they're driving through a, yeah, yeah. a neighborhood that's really ritzy, that's near like Bronson Canyon. And it's it's like on the opposite side, not at all near like Mulholland Drive or like where you would go to the Hollywood Hills. So it's just funny because they're going in the complete opposite direction towards Hollywood Boulevard, uh, which is weird. <laughs> but um, I, I just I think it's really funny how this movie, it does feel creepy because they're driving through like Hollywood and these suburbs, which I don't even know if they're suburbs at that point. Your mansions like craziness. But um you almost don't see anyone else. And that's the creepy part too. And then there's other parts, like there's a part where the, uh, apparently someone shows up at the door and knocks and they're like, Oh, they were at the wrong house. And you're like, I don't know. And there's also the idea that like Pruitt runs after Claire and spoilers, but uh, there, there's a great scene where Will is like watching Claire, making sure that she can leave and get home safe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then Pruitt runs back after her or whatever. And apparently right before the big reveal, um, there's that part where uh, Will is like on the back patio and it's like an extreme long shot where he's like on this lit patio. The original intention was they were going to zoom out and it was going to show Claire in her car dead or like dying. And they chose not to do that to leave it ambiguous, which I love because that would have undershot the entire reveal Mm -hmm. if it showed that Claire was dead then you're like, okay, that's, that's what makes totally. the ending like the last totally. 20 minutes are so amazing because when it is revealed and, uh, you know, Gina is having, or so you have all these kind of things happening. You're having will, holy shit. He may have just killed Sadie on accident. Sadie is like not responding after this mm-hmm. head injury. Uh, Yell is like a a hot paramedic who used to be on. I I think he was like a soap actor, the the real actor, but uh, he's like working on her and saying like, oh, go get a first aid kit. And David walks out a frame and the big reveal is David shooting uh, Miguel and killing him. And then Gina or or maybe Gina is having an episode. We discovered Gina. Gina first. Uh, yeah, Gina then goes okay, over so, to because Kira's like, oh, no, she's not breathing. He's like, no, she's breathing. Yeah, she's like, right, no, right. not her, not Sadie. We're talking about Gina. Gina, yeah. But and, then then it just, it it shifts it where this it, it, it turns into a slow motion. Yeah, and the way that the so. editing cuts these shots with these slow, intense, like, it's like someone is hitting the felt on a, like, a cello. Like, these thick, like, tones that are just like, yeah, you're kind of coming to grips and also confused, but also like, what the fuck? In the way that there's a, a beautiful shot of everyone in the dining room and Will is like backing up terrified because holy shit, yeah. he's not crazy. You know, like that's fucking mm-hmm. brilliant filmmaking. It's, it just, it's. Yeah. And Pruitt is like kind of moving in being like, David, no, no. And you're thinking like, oh, maybe Pruitt's not so much of a back. Like he's seeing this. That's one thing I love just, just to kind of tangent with that too, is, is where Pruitt in slow motion is going like, David, give me the gun. Like, no, no. And then you see him take the gun from David and then he just points it over and shoots, um, Choi. Choi. Yeah, shoots Troy right in the chest. I'm like, oh fuck. Okay. So yeah, nope. This is this is all happening now. It's it's an ama- it's amazing how like um 
how that's it just goes from zero to 100 just like that well i mean phil phil hay talks in the in the commentary about how it's a black comment quote black comedy of manners and how uh being polite is pretty dangerous because it's like you're not wanting to be unacceptable uh in a social environment because but at the end of the day it's like that could mean your survival mm. uh it's yeah it's it, so many like social faux pas in this movie where you're like in in reality like i would have pieced out of there fucking immediately like if they were shoot if they were doing the timeshare video (laughs) where it's just like okay we're going over to evan's house for a barbecue and then he's like oh i have a video that i want to show you and it's about this religion that i'm into i would just kind of peace out like uh, no offense evan i love you but hey man it's just like there's so many things (laughs) but then you're you have all these characters on you have these characters on both sides like uh at one point tommy uh uh played by mike doyle is um uh, miguel's husband or, or boyfriend and he is even uh shows up to will going like you know you're basically like not gaslighting him but just saying you're kind of out there man so then you're also feeling like fuck okay am i crazy because how many people you're doing the pizza mental math where you're like okay, how many pieces of pizza are left how many people are left so how many pieces of pizza can i have yeah left? yes but you're exactly. going, you're There's going only like, this okay, one guy if tom is tommy in on this like okay am i really in the corner now i'm acting crazy like why is no one else understanding what the fuck is going on like that's the scariest yeah. part is like that's what makes rosemary's baby a terrifying movie for me is the idea that everything in Mia Farrow's body, in her mind, everything is saying, no, 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 this is wrong. And everyone is saying, no, you're mm-hmm. crazy. No, you're, you're acting really selfish right now. Oh, you're no, you're, you're being over the top or whatever. And then it's not like an, I told you so moment at the end, but it's like, there's no time for an, I told you. So it's the idea that it turns into a game of, of survival. But what Kusama, uh, uh, says in the in the uh, commentary is, is uh, like what is the notion of suffering? Uh, what's the notion of pain? And at what and at what point is it acceptable to consider making a decision for someone else uh, versus someone else uh, something else's pain? And by starting the movie with the mercy killing of the coyote, it's kind of like at what point do you have the power to take away someone's pain? And how is that any different than the pain that Eden is trying to take away from everyone at the dinner party, you know, without consent? Mm-hmm. But it's it's like the power of like, it's the power of like repressing your desire to grieve or the pain that you have to experience to make you kind of who you are versus having to swallow it down, deny it, and then ultimately try and kill it when you should be living like well, this is where everyone lives it's not not in like a i'm not sound meaning to sound preachy or like that that's the movie's like buttery thing but it's like it's the idea that the way out is through it's the pain makes you who you are and it's it's like that's really the uh and in in a way i feel like that's that's eden also um i feel like in that way as well eden is I think proven in the end to not necessarily be one of the antagonists. She plays quite the part, but it's revealed in the end that like her and Will are kind of on the same page with exactly where they're at 
with I mean, the she was their... willing to kill a bunch of people. I'd call she, her an antagonist. She was, but she was okay. The way she wanted to do it was the way that she didn't want to pull the trigger on it, but sure, she shoots Will at one point, but then she goes to shoot herself. It's like she's appalled. She's like completely in this, she's in a state of denial where it's like her character you is revealed in the end where it's like, yeah, she was part of this cult and she was willing to go through with this because she thought everybody would just die peacefully. And then she kind of like, it breaks out of it. It's like, but that's still an awful thing to do. Yes. I'm not, I'm not, okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not justifying her actions. What I'm trying to say is that Eden's character is revealed in the end to be going through exactly what will is, but what she's doing is she's coping mm-hmm. with it in a very much Unhealthy similar ways. way that, will is but also in a her own way where it she's doing denial and will is just agitated and feeling lots of guilt and is taking out that way and the one thing that does separate her from everybody else is she is willing yes she's going to do the horrible thing which is murder all of her friends and everybody but she wants them to go Mm -hmm. out the way peacefully and it's revealed in the end that everybody else around her Pruitt Sadie and her love David apparently are okay with this going going to plan, even if it means yeah. a lot more violence. So she's like, I didn't want this to happen. This is wrong. This is wrong. She's like crying and like freaking out that mm-hmm. this is even happening. And David's like, hey, no, like calm down. Like we have to do this. Like they have to fucking die. And so it's like, I think it was a beautiful reveal. Is like Eden is kind of like just in, she's in the same space that Will is. And it's, it's a beautiful point. It's, I completely agree. I think that's a great point. Like that is one of the strong points of this movie is you see her twist at or her shift at the end. Also, lady, shoot yourself in the head. Don't... That's what I was wondering too. Like, why did she shoot herself in the stomach? We've had this conversation in well, Dyson. That's where you do that. One... It's the worst way to die. <laughs> yeah. It's so well, painful. It's, it's a, well, I mean, for one, it's a guaranteed death for sure because it's gut shot. But I wonder if it's like something symbolic, uh, of, deserving, like the her pain. child. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, but or the loss of her child. The other thing I was gonna say is going back to the wine. This is why I don't drink wine. Like you bring <laughs> beer to a party, you know no one's poisoned it because you pop that tab yeah. yourself, and oh, yeah. you drink it all before you go pee. And that's you are very all true. set. And you're not spending was, $8 million uh, dollars on beer. Yeah. <laughs> if you are, that's a lot of beer. I, I think what makes that so um, interesting to me is it's not that it's it's okay of what they're doing to like, they're going to kill everyone in their delusion in the world of this store. Like in this world, they believe that they're doing the right thing, that they're going to be reunited with the people that they love. Like when you see Eden mm-hmm. saying goodbye to Claire at the end, she's saying goodbye. Like if you look at the way that Eden is like relishing the moment in her mind, she's doing the yeah. right thing that makes sense to her because she's taking away all of the pain that she's experiencing, all the pain that her friends are going to experience in their life. And they're going to be reunited in this, this Nirvana. And it's like, that's what's so sad is like, not only does it go wrong, she's having a breakdown of like, it's like, there's a lot of victims in this movie, but I I feel like at the end of the day, she's the one that like breaks my heart the most because she is the like personification of what grief and pain can do to people like 
the lengths you'll go to be okay with yourself trying to get through another day. Like it's, it's so intense and the like softness and sweetness of even like Will carrying her outside with Kira at his side, his, his current partner and the love that he clearly has with, like you see that right from the beginning when they see each other for the first time in two years or whatever, he loves her in this complicated way where how do you sell this to an audience in a way that is this brilliant? Like there, there's something um, when you have something so tragic, it's almost like you're melded together in this. It's just this movie is such a meditation on uh, all of the darkness in in everyone's lives. And uh, I don't know, it's it's uh, it's like L.A., man. What's what's weird <laughs> is we're all making it sound like it's a total fucking downer. And it's really not like it's tense the whole time. And it's an exciting film, but you're never like really like dealing with the loss of this kid on the level of like a drama. You know, it's not a movie where you're like, oh, God, this is so fucking devastating. It's kind of in the background, but. It's exactly like they use one of the cool setups of this movie is it's kind of a haunted house, but it's haunted by memories, both good and bad. So you have scenes where like Will is entering the house and then it quickly cuts to like his son playing on the table or whatever. And you're in its daylight mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, OK, cool. He's like shifting back and forth between these memories. Yeah. And uh, from past to present, it's it's it doesn't show the ultimate event and it doesn't have like a funeral scene. It's like it's you're basing everything on the implications in the, uh, the information that you're getting parceled out to you. And it's like, we don't need to, I don't want to be enveloped in these people's grief in a way that is untoward or like inappropriate. I'm getting to know exactly what their grief is without all of the details like that. And, and, Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 not like a downer, and like I think this movie is is beautiful and extremely sad and emotional. But when you're watching it, it's like it's a fun thriller because you're also yeah. I love movies like this where you're trying to figure it out. You know, like Knives Out is a recent great example where when I was when I when I watch it, I'm trying to figure out, and I, I want to be the smartass who figures it out halfway through. You know, like yep, just so that I, I can give myself a pat on the back. And I, I, but I, I love, yeah. um, I love being challenged and getting, like, not go having the, having the rug pulled out from underneath me, and also as a bonus, being able to empathize with the quote unquote bad guys of the movie. Um, the the uh, one of the best uh, kind of moments in the movie is after all hell is broken loose and Sadie, like there's a, I mean, the way they shoot in the house just on a technical level is, is unbelievable. And the house is gorgeous. Like it's, it's a real, there's like a scene where they're like uh, Kira and uh, Will are like hiding. And then, uh, you know, Sadie comes running out and it's like this kind of like a thrilling scene. And then you see Sadie again and she has like a uh, like a fireplace poker and she's on the couch and she's like clearly not looking well, similar to the coyote in the beginning of the movie where 
you know, that was kind mm-hmm. of triggering for me too. So, I mean, case in point, if you have like a sensitivity to uh, like animals being hurt, even though like characters, people are dying in this movie for some reason, like animal suffering is a different thing for me, but uh, depends on your experience. Like it's no different. It's no different than um, like Sadie is on the couch and you have this beautiful kind of scene where, it's not maybe not beautiful. It's super interesting where Will reaches to get the poker and you're thinking, okay, is Sadie a threat still? Like, is this going to jump out at me? Like, is this kind of where mm-hmm. it gets the horror thing, you know, from, and he just gets the poker and you're also thinking, okay, earlier in the movie, Will puts like a coyote out of its misery. Is he just going to straight up bash her in the head? Because she's like yeah, breathing yeah, irregularly, she's looking really bad, and that kind of broke my heart too. Because he just kind of there's no like big moment. He kind of like looks at her and then walks away with Kira, and it's like you're not giving her the mercy, which is understandable, of course. You know the way the night's going, but it's also a capital offense in one case and not the other. Uh, if you yeah. kill an animal oh, out of mercy, it's a lot different from killing a woman you shoved into a marble stand out of mercy. That's true. Yeah. Even in this circumstance of the movie where the cops would probably be like, oh, you're the victims of an invitation. We heard about this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, guess, I don't know. I, I just, I just mean that it's like, it's framed interestingly because maybe it's like, it's meant to kind of trick you into thinking, okay, he's already capable of doing that. And he knows that probably she's going to die because she just, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of sad. And the same goes with David. Like I understand David's character when he's talking, like, first of all, will drops a lot of eaves in this movie. Like there's a lot of conversations Mm -hmm. he's listening to and stuff. And the one uh, where he's listening to Eden and David in the kitchen after everything's happened and Eden's freaking out. It made me realize that David's fucking way in over his head. Yeah. You know, and it made me sympathize with him. And again, I shouldn't like, we just saw him like knife Ben in the back while fucking Pruitt uh, shoots shot at yeah, you know, in shot the head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's still like, I, I see what you mean. I didn't sympathize with him though. In that scene, I felt like that was him kind of giving in. And I, I felt like that was kind of more of a reveal of like, oh, he may be in over his head, but he's kind of the mastermind and doesn't give a shit. He's kind of mm-hmm. like, you got to stick with me. We have to finish this job. He's not so much like a Terminator-esque sort of figure like Pruitt is, but that to me was sort of like, it was hard for me to empathize with him as I could through the movie before the events of, you know, the third act happening was... I feel like that scene, at least to me, I'll just say for me, it it maybe like the way that he treated the whole thing was like, oh, you're the mastermind of this, you sick bastard. You're the one who's like, I'll be fine with this. Evan, have you ever hosted a party and people just won't leave? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's where I go to the back porch and chain smoke with somebody else. (laughs) Well, you know, murder all your guests, chain smoke on the back porch, like to each their own. And if somebody's still no, there after murder everybody, then that's then it's time there, to be like, okay, guys. There's a part where Will goes into like his kiddo's room and like it's been turned into an office, like David's office, and then he goes into his like 
you know, MacBook or his computer or whatever, and then watches the final video from this guru. And something that hella stuck with me was like, the guru is saying it's the goodbye video of like tonight's the night and blah, blah, blah. But he ends with my heart is breaking. I love you. Like, I love you. My heart is breaking for you. And it's like, yeah. It's not just that like Will opened this computer and went through shitload of files. That made me think that David has watched that a bunch and that David's in pain and this is the comfort that he's hoping for of the idea that like he's friends with Sadie and Pruitt, you know, but also he's wanting Eden's friends to be in this too because he cares for Eden. You know, there there's just like yeah. there's complexities in this movie that that are really challenging because it is challenging like when you think of a lot of cults just in american history you think of some of the manson followers where you're like i shouldn't sympathize with you because of the awful act that you did but at the end of the day like it all sucks your your confusion and your i don't mean that in like a patronizing way it's just like i don't know like but they were brainwashed like any of us could in such levels of grief not me well, it's, I don't, Charles I don't Manson know if talk it's like, to me, I'd be like, that's cool, buddy. <laughs> I've heard you music. It's not that great. <laughs> Mandy style. Yeah. Like, I don't think of brainwashing as much as it's like mental exercises into, like, I don't disrespect people. And again, I don't think anyone falls into a cult. I think it's people who are sad people who need guidance in their life and who aren't finding it in day-to-day society. I, I really love your, um, I really love that observation, Jason, that complexity of his character and the idea of will opening up and it opens up to that video of, you know, the goodbye video. And it's something that maybe David is just like, that's something that has given him comfort into going into this night, especially. I like that idea a lot. However, I don't want to ruin the complexities and the beauty of that close reading, but it was something that Kusama mentioned. Uh, she was asked a question on, um, I think it was on the DJA podcast. I, I keep getting that one mixed up with the Fright Night podcast interview, where they ask her, like, was there at any point where you wanted Will to maybe, because he's in such an emotional paralysis and he's like in this state of immense vulnerability, did you ever want him to eventually kind of be, you know, possibly have a moment where he might be convinced by the invitation as like, as a method for him to cope with. And she was like, well, yeah, actually it was Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. We kind of juggled with the idea for one, you kind of see it when Pruitt is telling his story and what the invitation means to him and like how Pruitt was coping with the loss of, you know, the accidental murder of his wife that he committed and how the invitation you see Will kind of looking down and really actually thinking about that stuff. And then he snaps out of it. But like her um, Kusama, you know, paraphrasing, of course, but the way she kind of put it was like the whole opening of the laptop was supposed to be kind of like um, it was coincidental that Will just happens to come across that part and it touches him in such a way that maybe he is ready and prepared. And then when he goes upstairs, he's sort of still in that space of like, well, maybe the invitation, like this idea and philosophy is something that would help me if it's something that obviously has helped Eden and David. 
you know, it's not explicit in that in those scenes, hmm. but that's sort of what it's like. It seems like she was trying to imply. But then, of course, he kind of breaks out of that and goes, don't drink the fucking wine. Like, he's like, no, 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 this, this is crazy. No, I trust my gut, trust in my gut, which I think is also really interesting because that is also sort of the power of some of these religions and philosophies. And, you know, again, like David doesn't call it a cult. You could put a label on it like a cult, but just when you're in pain, it's really easy for somebody to want to believe in something that's going to help them. And I think that was a good example of like, even somebody like Will, who's the most suspicious in the entire party throughout the entire movie is still susceptible. You just see Mm -hmm. a couple moments where that happens and then he breaks out of it. So again, Jason, I really like the idea that that was something that it was just, he opens it up because that video was there. It was something that maybe he and that David and Eden watched before the events of the night. Um, Mm. But I thought it was an interesting take that um, was asked about. It could be both too. It could be both as well. Because like, honestly, Kusama didn't say like this was definitively it. It was kind of the idea. Because why else would it be the first thing up? Yes, exactly. He didn't search for it. He just opens the laptop and it's there. Like divine intervention? Or is it more just like, no, he closed the laptop right before that moment let me tell you this if you open somebody's laptop you're never gonna see the porn they just watched like <laughs> there is unless they're in a hurry to go meet shame with that. like he wouldn't have shame that video <laughs> i don't think that david would have shame to like hide it because no, and he he, it's already too late you know like they're not gonna they wouldn't care if someone you yeah. know at that point plus he was I, willing I to show the rest the, of the video the, to everybody well and is that a separate video or is it just the end of the video from before? That's a good point. I'm not sure. It's a, it's a, he's the, the person is wearing a separate uh, outfit. Oh, he's okay. not okay. wearing like the. So that means that at some point David had to have gone in and watched that video in the meantime on his own. But then why did it start at yeah. that point where it's the beginning of the goodbye instead of the end of the goodbye? Because it resets. Once you, when you um, close the laptop? What, once you watch the whole oh, file. It's on YouTube? So it just like, you can do loop? I mean, it depends on the player. Is he using Windows Media Player or... Yeah, uh, like, media a player lot of those earlier media. Apple players would do that, where once okay. the file was yeah. over, an Apple back. Yeah. But, but, but I think even if you eliminate that part, or, like, I sympathize with David because at the end, when you're watching that... Uh, the toast uh, scene with the wine, which there's some versions of the movie where the, po- the movie poster is like a CGI wine glass with like mm-hmm. wine oh, yeah. in it. And you're like, yeah. Oh, and Will's like bobbing about like, it. Stupidest uh, poster, but um, there's a, where you're kind of picking up on the weight, like the second time when you're watching it and you know what's going on, you see David and Eden looking at each other like it's not in this way that's malicious. And and that's the same thing with Pruitt. They're not acting out of malice or like they're the bad guys or they're doing something wrong. Like David cares about Eden and Eden cares about David in a way that's, that's sincere. All of these characters are sincere. They're not like these cold blooded killers. And the idea that David mm-hmm. is now above his head and just not knowing what to do. And the, you know, the also subtext of the like the territorial male shit where uh will is coming into his old house that now is 
you know, with David in charge of his house, you know, like, and, you know, because yeah, like, David does there's say, like, like, a couple of, it's like, my house. Years, and it's like, no, it's not. It's Eden's. Yeah, it's Eden exactly. and her family's house. You know, mm-hmm. But that was kind of But weird. then you had the other layer of proof. But if I then live in a house, I would say it's my house. Yeah. Like, I might not own the house, sort of but, see that. but if I live there. Because I think he True. says that when he, like, True. Uh, the, the reason why is that uh, David locks them in. And uh, Will is like, why are yeah, you fucking then- locking us in the house? And so he tries to emasculate him by putting the key in the lock or whatever and saying, oh, I can just leave that in there in my house, right? Or whatever. Like, it's it's this yeah. constant. It's my That's house the one. only kind of part of the, the movie that I thought was a little strange was like, I don't think that David, I don't know, like, I don't think. And, and maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but it's like, I don't think it needed that kind of like conflict between the two of them. It needed like, you know, of like, um, I mean, they're not I think fighting that's over natural. Eden. They're not fighting over Eden, but like there's a not, I've never been in that situation, but I can only imagine even if everyone was on good terms, there would be some weird tension. You know, like, well, I think that's what they bring up, too, is the idea that it's been two years and this is the first everyone has kind of kicked it. And well, then Eden just comes down Will. the stairs. Like, yeah. Davis. Yeah. Because yeah, like Claire has like, mentioned, she's had a party about like her promotion and everything. And like other people have sort of seen each other. But like they haven't mm-hmm. seen Will in a long time because he's been coping with this stuff. Well, I, I got the vibe that these are more Eden's friends. Like. You know how whenever... No, because I feel like Gina, whenever, Tommy, Manuel are all, like, talking to him, like, hey, man, like, we love you. We're here but, to support you. But and we all have... Some of the parties. Where we the, all have where friends died. where we're friends with both of them, True. you know? <laughs> like, and then, yeah. like, True. True. you've kind of got to do that awkward dance of, like, all right, how do I, like, navigate this? Or do I just stay friends with one? Uh, you know? Yeah, and then that is yeah, that's hard, especially after a divorce like theirs. It's like they were friends all when they were married together, and, and now so was, I got the vibe but, they they all are still friends with Eden while Will's been off doing his thing. But they've been thinking about Eden because even Will is like, "Where's Choi?" And Gina yeah. is uh, confronts him about like, "Hey, wait, wait, well, sorry, I I, to- I misspoke. I I got the vibe that the central other friends." Are all hanging out while Will and Eden are off yeah, fucking. Yeah, because yeah, Eden like, is Eden's in, in Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Will is dealing with Absolutely, they they've all been hanging out, but like Will's in grief. Yeah, and Eden and David have been off in Mexico for two years. So, mm-hmm. yes, good point. Good point. Good point. So yeah, that that's super awkward. Like, I, I mean, I can't imagine being married to someone for years and years and having a kid and then having that kid die like i have no frame of reference for that and what that level of grief is like but i just know like if i've been on like four dates with a girl once in college and she was at a party with our friends i would feel awkward (laughs) you know like (laughs) yeah at least one thing that this is where it's not a it's not a really a big deal, but like where I was confused with like how long it had actually been since they'd all seen Will or something. Because Gina even goes up to Kira, she's like, 
hey, Gina, we met at so-and-so's mm-hmm. thing. And I think she points at, like, Tommy Miguel maybe at their wedding or something like that. Or, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So it's like, how long have Kira and Will been together? Have they been together long enough? Like, Sadie's whole comment about the, like, oh, she seems distant is completely is completely silly. Like, it was something that I feel like was to make a point that Sadie is really trying to get in this I mean, head, I but think, Will is not... I think but Kira's their relationship mad is just Will. fine. No, I don't know about but that. But she's not like, distant. Kira is she's definitely... Like, the way that Sadie says, like, oh, she must be distant, and then Will's like, what are you talking about? But she's also, like regularly like what are you doing <laughs> yeah kira's like yeah kira's upset that he's kind of being shitty but like every time they mm-hmm. do come back together they look at each other like oh and they embrace like you know arm around the shoulder okay we're back to where it's at like there's no but, really there's no real reason that sadie would at least from my perspective I, but like i watched it twice so i was same... like i don't see any distance i just see like Yes, she probably feels really awkward in this situation with all these kind of semi strangers. I, I feel like it's a different kind of relationship. Being really agitated like, at this party. Eden and David, Eden and David have a very kind of expressive relationship, and yeah. you know, like different people oh, handle their relationships Sadie in different is ways. Kind of comparing and, and Eden like, and David to, or Will and Kira to Eden and David, sort of thing. Yeah, because. I could see that, yeah. Because some people express more affection in public, and other people, yeah, are more restrained. And like, I didn't. But Sadie was still off the offer. I mean, Sadie was trying to get in Will's pants, so like, yes, before they die, and she proved well, that she's I, I a think little. That, you know, I don't know. Well, well the yeah, can't judge, but for one, the 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 only healthy relationship, not healthy, but like the only kind of positive relationship that you see because you don't really see Choi and Gina together a lot is uh, uh, Tommy and Miguel where they're really kind of affectionate and they're kind of like talking and they're kind of engaged. Even when they're sitting with each other, they just feel like they're engaged. They're open. Like their body language is open. Yeah. And then you have Will and Kira and Kira is super like bright and like, like a, a good energy. And then of course you have Will who's kind of in this suit. The only one who's kind of wearing like a formal looking thing. And he's kind of like buttoned down. Yeah. And then there are a couple of moments where uh, Sadie, like, I think is she without like underwear, like she's bottomless uh, when they, yeah. when he sees her right when she in- enters the house and he's kind of lingering yeah. on her a little bit. So in this intense way and really, I don't know if he's just like confused, like what? That's the way I took it. Uh, Versus her is kind of like, and, and so like, I'm thinking that um, she, he, maybe it's later that he sees her like making lion face, you know, lion face, lemon face, you know, like lion face into the mirror. I I interpret as death faces. Uh, How will I look when I die? Eh, Or, ah! Yeah, but, I, I think that like she's kind of also maybe wanting to get her rocks off, to be honest. Like before you go, you want to get laid. Exactly. You know, that oh, yeah, I think absolutely. it's just like yeah, she's picking up like, she's she's picking up on she the fact that she's like, picking up vibes. Nobody wants to go with your nuts full. <laughs> well, like Kira and uh and Will don't seem as like intertwined as much as like the affectionate yeah, kind of other relationships in the house. And so she's thinking that she could maybe, you know, 
separate and conquer conquer and divide or whatever of like getting to will yeah 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 yeah. but that's um that's also where the implications of that are really fascinating for kira's character is we've only seen phil like phil we only know will for an hour into this movie at this point kira lives with this person and who knows what she has endured the last couple of years if they're distant, that's, that's not on Kira. You have this man who has sustained like a really awful trauma who has probably been in his pain the entire time that they've been together in a relationship. Like that's powerful stuff. We've also seen, we've also seen who will is in this really difficult situation. And how long have they been together? It's not really established. He could be completely different. Like, yeah, that's oh, they were together, too. you know, when Eden and, and, you know, him were together, too. That was a, a sub, that was in this fan fiction I wrote. Um, yeah. You guys didn't get my... Uh, oh! No, uh, sorry, I don't my think invitation. that's a reliable text. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I definitely, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, what you guys are saying about, like, how Sadie could interpret their relationship as being distant i just thought it was her like being she's trying to get laid she's she's fucking and she's also fucking batshit like i'm sorry to say like i'm gonna be the judgmental asshole and be like she's the one who obviously is a little bit more disconnected and you know disassociative of reality and almost as if she's fucking like like high off her gourd or something like that she's the one that is kind of like the linchpin of like this there's something wrong at this party. Do you think there's... she's taken some of those pills? Do you yeah, think... Those are barbiturates. Like... Well, actually, no, that makes sense because they're barbiturates. <laughs> but... What are barbiturates? Are those like lewd? They're painkillers, anxiety. That... Um, like they're to I reduce think they're anti-anxiety. anxiety. Yeah. And oh, also like Xanax? They've been used as like... Yeah, it's kind of like Xanax. That's in the same realm. But the ones, the phenol whatever, those ones I was reading up on I have not been in use for a long while. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, barbiturates in general as anti-anxiety medication and um, anesthesia have been, we've progressed in science a little bit more where those have taken a wayside in more developed countries like ours. I was going to say like, that's, that's one of those things, those drugs I associate with the eighties because as someone in my younger days who liked to try them all, uh, those were one of those things I could never find. Gotta try them all. <laughs> Arbiturates. Yeah. It was like that lewds yeah. and ketamine. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's like, it's Pokemon, but it's about <laughs> drugs. That was pretty much 2005 through 2006. <laughs> yeah, that was my like 2006 through 2009. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, but anyways, barbiturates hard to find, uh, um, and it feels like something. That's Sadie really the only would, problem. Feels like something Sadie would be skimming from, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up real quick, something that I appreciated about this film was the score, um, and how there isn't much of a score. It's it's also something that Kusama mentioned in uh, her DGA interview was the point of the score was to not have any quote unquote um, like discernible 
sort of melody. Uh, and that to me creates, there it goes. There it is. That's what we were looking for. <laughs> it wasn't what and, I wanted, but. but it was at least a burp. Um, but that to me, the score itself, not having like some particular discernible melody that is something that can connect. Like there's, there's arpeggiations and like sort of yeah. swells here and there that are familiar that like, you know, come in and out throughout the movie, but there's nothing really that connects it. And in that way, the score is just so unsettling in this movie. It's more of like, there's none of it. There's never a moment in the entire score where you're like, Oh, this is where we're supposed to feel compassion or like, it's a little bit down from it's always at this, like kind of just eerie, just like something's not right here. Like there's there's something that scored us so well. Yeah. There's there's dead spots, all these dead spots. And as well as like the, the music itself is just like, kind of like, puts you on edge but but that's you make such a good point evan because it's like you wouldn't have like a poltergeist beautiful score where it's almost like okay like that detracts from what the tone that you're trying to get or like there's a lot of like um movies that have rich scores that that you know aid uh you know the horror movie or or the thriller movie that they're going for but what i i Mm -hmm. love is that the 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 scarcity of melody in the score means that you really don't have a raft to hold on to for how am I supposed to feel? How am I supposed to be comfortable when all these new rhythms are being introduced, all these new string arrangements. It's not really, it's a controlled chaos. That's really beautiful and keeps you on your toes. Like I appreciate that more than if there was like a swirling, you know, a sweeping score or like, yeah. You know, a Jennifer's Body type score, which coincidentally, uh, Theodore uh, Shapiro um, was Kusama's, um, did the music for uh, Girl Fight, Jennifer's Body. Ted. Oh, Te- Teddy Shapiro. <laughs> um, sure. I said and, Ted, uh, but yeah. Oh, sorry, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> Lowercase T, capital D. Um, yeah. But he also <laughs> would come back for her next film, Destroyer. I and coincidentally, a lot of his films that he's worked on are a lot of like comedies. And this one just feels like its own thing. It's almost like experimental. And I, I especially in the scene we talked about the uh, the dinner scene where it's in slow motion. It's it's just it's captivating. It, it's it's one of those scores that aids in how uh, richly complex your uh, characters are and and what yeah. you. It doesn't and how unsettling everything is. Exactly. It just, it's it's very. I feel like I can. I equated a lot actually with Joseph Bashara, um, uh, who worked with James Wan in a lot of his James Wan's movies. Mm. Uh, his scores were typically for like The Conjuring, for um, like Insidious. Did he do Insidious? Insidious? With yeah, me? where it's yeah. like there's a Sweet. lot of these dead moments, but most of the score isn't necessarily like a soundtrack you would listen to you know, or by the CD of, it's just these vignettes of really eerie sounds and like, you know, of course, string ensemble, that's just a given. You're going to have that in movies like this, but like, it's just, it creates that level of tension without making it be, without making the movie, like, I'm going to say this, it's kind of silly, I guess, to put it, but like, without making the movie seem Hollywood. Where it's like, yeah. oh, this is this is a Hollywood horror film. This is more like nuanced and like the reason why there's such a little 
such a almost you know a minimalist score to it is because the score is not entirely the point but the score does help with creating the tension and the the emotions that you're supposed to be feeling during a lot of this even in some of the more like um compassionate scenes with will and him like going through his son's old room stuff like that the score is still like I don't know. I don't know about this place. It's kind of well, eerie. I, it's kind of creepy. It's not. You're not supposed to be having these sweet moments. It's still. It's. It's just brilliant. And I think, like, yeah, that. The my main point is like it kind of reminds me of like Joseph uh, Bashar's stuff that he did with James Wan. And what I thought helped James Wan's horror and more spookier films create that spookiness. And it, it's uneasy fun- feeling. It's funny that you you say that because I was thinking of The Shining, and I think it was Wendy Carlos that did The Shining, uh, uh, Stanley Kubrick's uh, uh, haunted house movie, J.K. But it's like like it's the descent into madness kind of, and I feel like the way that that's used in The Shining is is in that context. Gosh, I'm not speaking properly. I'm uh, but why. The Shining's like score with like it's almost like these like waterfalls of quick arpeggios and like just mm-hmm. strings being scratched and these really like organic sounds as like Jack Nicholson's character is descending slowly into this like madness. And I feel like it's used in that capacity here where there's all these like sparse arrangements that just keep you at this unease and not really invited, not really comfortable. And it aids in the paranoia of the movie because you're constantly kind of being misdirected or like it's all subtle and it's part, partly the, the just overall sound design. Like it's used really well. It made me think of Mishima, uh, a life in four chapters. Um, Because like the score there also is dealing with the like challenge of violence and suicide in pursuit of a noble cause and i'm just fucking with you guys like i was gonna uh uh, what movie are you talking about mishima life in four chapters chapters. fucking rules but like the philip glass score is wild Uh, and way different yeah you kind of have a point minimalist understandable (laughs) (laughs) probably not the same yeah Yeah. (laughs) i've seen the movie but i get i get your joke now yeah (laughs) that you say philip glass yeah like eden is kind of doing a form of seppuku with a gun so (laughs) (laughs) kind of trying to take over the japanese government if you really think i mean that's the true subtext okay now in part two we're gonna discuss so evan here's the plot of the movie this dude yokio mishima right okay he's like arguably the best japanese writer of all time he wrote among others rashomon and he's like uh wait it turns out that like democracy sucks and we should have like a god emperor that tells us to do everything and i'm gonna go to like colleges and like try to convince college kids to join my private army. And then eventually I'm going to use my private army to invade a real army base, like hold the soldiers hostage and then kill myself on the roof of the building, like performing ritual seppuku. It is a fucking wild story. And the movie is fucking bonkers. 
That's yeah. a lot to take in. <laughs> Just yeah. with the description. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's I need trip. to see this executed. No pun intended. But it's it rules. It's done by Paul Schrader, who is mm-hmm. most famous these days for getting kicked out of online poker uh what? Circles. Oh, you haven't seen this? Really? Okay. Was he last counting cards like Ben Affleck? It's true. Last tangent. Um Paul Schrader <laughs> the last tangent. uh is a legendary <laughs> filmmaker, you know. He wrote Taxi Driver. He's directed some, like, classic Allegedly. Movies. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. He's been posting on Facebook during quarantine about playing poker online. But it's mostly about him sexually harassing women online. Uh, and what? it's getting kicked out of these different poker groups and him not understanding why what he's doing is not okay. Uh, Like the one last week, I believe was there was this beautiful 30 something woman in my online poker group who was a lesbian. And I told her she should hook up with my other lesbian friend and have a twosome. And I was not invited back to the group. Uh, a twosome's kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> like a nice way of saying they should have sex. It's like, hey, babe, <laughs> can we? Hey, Paul, Schrader, twosome, Paul Schrader's written both like the horniest and least horny movies. So people were like, is he only used to having sex with more than two people? Or is he just so unfamiliar with the very idea of sex? That it yeah. Well, I mean, the idea is so he's so active Wait, on Facebook. Two. I think we know what the answer to that is. <laughs> I two. Huh. I just yes. imagine this asshole. He wrote Taxi Driver like no one objectively a really amazing screenplay, and then he's just typing away on his fucking Surface Microsoft Surface. Dude, like I mean, he's directed and just saying, I, like one of the legendary lost movies is the Paul Schrader cut of the movie where uh, Nicolas Cage is a CIA officer who has dementia. <laughs> like what? fuck the Snyder cut, release the Paul Schrader cut. This you is like a, no, like they shot a movie and it hasn't yeah, it's come called out. what it came out, but the producers took it away from him and turned it into a really bad action movie. It's called Con Air. Uh, it's called no, that's a really good action movie. Yeah, it's yeah. called Dying of the Light, Dead and guy, it's Dead Nicolas Cage has dementia, and oh. he's trying to hide it. Uh, Elijah Woods whoa. in that too, he's right? To hide it. Quentin Yelchin. Uh, and oh, okay, good. White White Guy Blindless. It's a real diagnosis, please. Yeah. Um, but anyways, they took the movie away, and so like Nicolas Cage, Anton Yelchin, and Paul Schrader just were wearing shirts saying I've been censored for like a month every time they went anywhere, which I mean, if you could pick picture Nicholas cage with his like punk leather jacket and like biker jeans, I was going to say censored shirt. I I can't imagine him wearing a t-shirt. I mean, he's too busy wearing like a Napoleon outfit or whatever the fuck he wears. (laughs) Dude. Nicholas Cage is so cool. Like, he's a movie. He's a pe- people dunk on him so much, but he he doesn't care what people think, and like he seems to actually be like a legitimately good guy. Unlike 
yeah a lot of people so like he's also he's it's weirdness he's also like he's the rock star of movie stars but he's also like an encyclopedia of film like he loves movies like there are so many interviews where he's talking like specifically about all these like influences that he has and he's like super thoughtful he's fucking crazy in the best of ways how has he never made a tarantino movie those two seem like i don't tailor made i don't know that's a good question that would be kind of wild uh right would nicholas cage get on quentin tarantino's nerves would Quentin Tarantino well, get, that's, on, get on Nick I Cage's think nerves. you know what it, you know what it probably Actually, is though is Nick Cage kind Cage of does cool. like I think that he does his own thing and I think Quentin Tarantino likes to kind of keep things under the guise of like stick to the script and do what I want you to do versus like I think that that's... Nicolas Cage loves to like uh, improvise and kind of go over the top that I think that Quentin Tarantino and he has a big ego that I think both of them are similar to in some capacity, like with their eccentricities that they probably two positives would make a negative. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe that would be the black hole that would swallow the earth. If Quentin Tarantino and Nicolas Cage made a movie, <laughs> Pulp Fiction eight that takes place in the future. That would be great. His last movie is just a dog shit. Him calling it in with just like like the room, uh, you know, Usos movie, but it's Quentin Tarantino just going, I fucking made all these it's it's kind of like the Schindler's list thing where it's like Steven Spielberg could have just retired. Like he got a he got a uh what a UCLA like honorary degree. (laughs) And his well, like his his final project, like he didn't have to do a final project because they were like, You did Schindler's list. And they just gave him the honorary degree because it was like, how does Steven Spielberg make a thesis film when he's made like Schindler's List? I don't know. It's kind of like that with Quentin Tarantino where it's like, you've done the work. Hook, you could like, just, oh, I mean, Schindler's List. Hook. There's more food in one of them for sure. <laughs> even if it's imaginary and paint. But uh, I'm a dick. Amistad. <laughs> Amistad. They're both imaginary. Yeah, don't forget Amistad or Ready Player One. He's color some... purple. Color purple was pre Schindler's List, but I'm just saying if you cut oh, him see, off afterwards. At, at Schindler's List, like yeah, I didn't know Amistad missing... was after Schindler. Yeah, yeah that was like '97. Uh, right? Oh shit. Anyway, yes, if you cut him off at Schindler's List, if Matthew McConaughey is in your Spielberg movie. It's too late. <laughs> That's what it's got to Not even pre-McConaughey. Pre yeah. McConaughey, yep. too. So it's like, yeah. Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah. Can we get back to... Um, uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> I love that both of you, for a second, stared off into the distance as if you're waiting for somebody to press the button that says continue. Welcome to why we need a Nicholas Cage. That's the Nicholas Cage flicks. Exactly. Now we're back at the invitation. All right, Um, let's talk acting. Saving face, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask one more question, which I think is kind of an important thing about the story, was how did you guys think they handled the flashbacks? Because as a lot of movies do with flashbacks, it's kind of hard to do it without it being like a real, like, stick in the mud for the story, but I feel like they do a pretty good job in this one where yeah. it's like, you I don't get it's... everything, but you get just enough to know what's going on. And that's all you need. 
I think it's really well executed. My only question was, uh, did they shoot the flashbacks ahead of time? Or was yeah. his beard a like fake Good beard? Question. Because yeah, that, that was too. that was bugging me because I know how short indie shoots are. And I didn't mm-hmm. It didn't bother me until you said they shot it chronologically. I think that must have been a pickup. Like, they must have done yeah, that. Yeah, it feels like, like the last day you have him shave his hair, get a haircut, and do those yeah. things. Well, because you're also, like, makes sense. all of the flashbacks also feature different parts of the relationship. Like, there's no, like, there's no question that the bathtub scene is the happiest that both of those characters are in the entire movie. And then you have it... Yeah contrasted with like him drinking a glass of water and being reminded of Eden's possible suicide attempt. Like mm-hmm. all these context And also the clues. barbecue where the kid died. Yeah. I mean, but that's the other thing is like, you're, I think you see quick cuts to some of the friends who are at this final party who were at that party. So you're also, yeah, that represents the trauma that they experienced as well. Like why I say it's kind of like a haunted house movie is thinking of like James Wan movies. Like there are all these like, or a good director. He's good enough. I, he's not a bad director. I just wanted to be a smart ass. Oh, of course. (laughs) Dead silence for life. Um, hashtag. Um, but it's like, there are all these, like every time you're watching like a haunted house movie, there's always like someone's walking through the house and there's like a quick thing or whatever. Like the way that these memories come back to him are almost Mm -hmm. like he's flooded with these intense feelings. And sometimes they're like, they're terrifying. Like him drinking water and thinking of his wife's possible suicide attempt. Other times they're heartbreaking him in his like son's old room and it's the idea that they're like kind of brought back in, but you're never given enough information. That's like a, uh, a really shitty, like uh, expository, like, Oh, remember the time that your kid died in the backyard. And it's, it doesn't like show like this yeah. dramatic <laughs> scene of like, you know, father, John Misty beardless holding his dead son next to the pinata, you know, screaming, fuck yeah. you Tootsie roll. Uh, or, you know, whatever they put Who's in the audience. I don't know. Father John Misty uh, is the musician. Okay. <laughs> that's a will. <laughs> yeah, agreed. That's a really, that's a really cool point to make about like it as a haunted house, because there's also that scene where they're all kind of at their final dinner table. And before his pen ultimate blow up he's hearing everybody eating and talking and chewing and he's also going through all the flashbacks of that day that it happened at the barbecue where his mm-hmm. his son you know his his son's friend accidentally kills his son like we don't see it but that's what is implied and later you kind of through what will is talking about says and he's like all of a sudden feeling really strange and he calls for kira and she's kind of just staring off in the distance that's where i thought it was going to be like okay this is the scene where everybody's been drugged and now they're going to like do a thing. But it's, it was interesting to see that that was him in his grief causing this really weird, like um, disconnection from reality based on the things he's remembering and the things he's hearing, causing him to remember and flashback to the moment of his son's death. And like, he does that like silent scream. Like it shows him screaming and then it cuts away to him standing outside to take a breather. And you're like, 
did that happen? Was that all in his mind? Like, it's kind of like a haunted house sort of situation where he was just all of a sudden taken out of somewhere. Did he experience that? Did he think that he was screaming and like actually calling out for Kira? Or was that all in his mind? Because obviously that didn't happen because nobody else seems mm-hmm. to have reacted to it. It was a really interesting, it, it's like, you know, it's it's very much a haunting in that sense. And that's where I really like your idea of like, it's kind of like, a, you know, it's a haunted house. It's, it's like these ghosts are haunting him in the sense too. I mean, you have to think like, it's not haunted in terms of there's ghosts everywhere and blah, blah, blah. It's the fact yeah. that like the house represents breaking points for each character. Haunting it's the, it's the idea that a house where you've lost your marriage, you've lost your child is a haunted, intense, scary place that feels familiar because you used to live there. But now also is, why the bold, it's the energy you go to the party. Like, oh, I, going th- that's, back to that. Going back to movie making, <laughs> that's the first thing that goes wrong. That if my breaks ex, the movie. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it's like, it's the idea of like, there's no way I would be like, hey, you know, uh, more power to you. I, you know, but I think that's the thing is like, you're running away from your grief and you're in, he's in denial. And even though he's wallowing in his own sadness, that it's almost like the closure that he needs is to go see her. I mean, it's... It's one of those and friends, and and it says friends. maybe he wasn't prepared for this night. Yeah, yeah, God, it's just. It's I, I can guarantee you, you don't know until you go there. You don't know until you go. I think that's like kind of the thing is like he gave it a shot. <laughs> it's kind of unfortunate, you know, Paco. How yeah. do you feel about Claire's Irish goodbye and how she was killed for it? Also, uh, weigh in about Will's beard as our one, bearded Irish expert. Uh, Will's beard. <laughs> connection i'd say two out of ten grow it for a couple if you've been wallowing in pit like self-pity for years it should be five times as long uh i see you've only been about half a year yeah (laughs) his hair is beautiful though i mean did not irish goodbye by the way uh no she didn't she made it clear she did a scottish Which is uh, leaving a party and making and it dying. dying. <laughs> yeah. to the parking lot. <laughs> like, yes, Irish goodbye is leaving early ish. But that's a trick- Texas TTFN. Yeah. <laughs> the trick with the Irish goodbye is doing it without anyone knowing. Yeah, and it's, oh, it's okay, that's right. It's yeah. magic bestowed on us by the leprechaun. <laughs> It's uh, magic. It's <laughs> that you can do it like nobody else can do it except for people just, of Irish hair. I see your mom giving you a lullaby <laughs> at night <laughs> when you were a kid. It's just like one day you'll leave the party without telling anybody. <laughs> it's like there's something ingrained in you, like one this magic. Nobody will know where you went. <laughs> Would need a leprechaun to unlock the door for you. Uh, okay, so, that's so what you're saying is every time I have Irish goodbyes at parties, because I've done this in the past, yep. people have been like, oh, where's Evan? And everybody is like, because I don't have Irish descent, there was at least one person who was like, oh, I saw him like, leave like a half hour ago. Yeah. It's not a situation where, in your case, if you did that, everybody would be like, I don't know. He just exactly. all of a sudden disappeared. But when I think that I have Irish goodbye 
because I'm English, there's at least one motherfucker that's like, oh yeah, I watched him with my eyes. He just like left and didn't say anything. Damn it! All those times I thought I Irish goodbye. I thought it was cool too. It's like wearing sunglasses and smoking a cigarette. You could be like, I gotta go take a piss and like 12 people will still see you leave. Uh, You just, you just don't get it. The unluck of the English. My favorite is uh, the caesarean section. Have you guys ever done this at a party? Where you cut something open? Yeah, you find the nearest... Why did you say caesarean too and not caesarean? It's basically, uh, you see if anyone's hungry, and then you offer to go to Little Caesars, and then you just peace out and don't come back. It's how you extricate yourself from the party. I love that it's caesarean. Oh my god, that's that's well, awful! And I'm debating see, cutting it out, but it's also hilarious as fuck. Caesarean section. Oh man, yeah, he fucking section. He yeah. offered for a. Do you guys want pizza? No, okay, I'm gonna go get pizza, so I'll be right back. I'll go to Caesars. Bye. <laughs> oh, you want Little Caesars specifically? Little Caesars. No one's gonna say, "Oh, sure." Okay, I'm just gonna go. I'll be right back. Bye. <laughs> the trick with the Irish goodbye in compared to the cesarean goodbye is the Irish goodbye, you know, you ask, you say like, hey, I'm going out for a smoke. People want to go out and join you. You say, I'm going out for a potato. Nobody's coming. Nobody. <laughs> so I'd they can't actually you. witness you leave. <laughs> yeah. like, he went to the porch. He said something I about potatoes. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Home fries. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like corn hash. All right. We are going to enter our newest little segment uh, called Saving Face. Saving Face. Saving Face. Where we discuss the um, the performances that stood out to us the most in the movie. So, uh, how about we start with Paco? What? Who? You can name two at the most, but who is who is somebody in particular that stood out to you the most in this movie? Uh, are we performer. going? It's really hard, but like actor the is most hard. or really stood it's, out the most? Um, like, it, you know what? I want to leave that up to you, but honestly, from my perspective, I see it as who is the most convincing in there. I mean, you could say that about fucking. The guy who played Pruitt, because that actor always he's John Carol, Carol Lynch. Yeah, yeah. But, John Carroll Lynch is always good, but Norm. Who who is somebody that either surprised? It's you know what I'm gonna leave it up. To I gotta go with who Mr. surprised upgrade. you. Who liked? I gotta yeah. go with upgrade. Mm. You uh, really think so? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Logan Marshall Green. Yeah, he fucking he has never really stood out to me as an actor other than in this movie, and I saw this Same. movie in. 2016 or 2017 and ever since then he's been on my radar as someone who has a lot of potential like so much of acting is not delivering lines so much of acting is expression and emotion and god damn he carries loss so forcefully like it is it's a devastating performance and it really is. It's such a brutal performance and it, he carries it in every look. It's more than just dialogue. And he fucking, 
earned it. Uh, Jason. Absolutely. Uh, I'll have to go with uh, John Carroll Lynch. I think that he's one of the most like compelling actors. And I think that, um, of course, like in the Zodiac, he or in Zodiac, uh, Fincher Zodiac movie, he's maybe possibly the Zodiac killer. But like, I know him more as Norm in Fargo. And for some reason, that's all I see him as, which was super a weird disconnect when you're watching this movie because you're like what what would barge say about this you know like did you kill <laughs> well, marge i was Is picturing marge you just resettled and murdered yeah yeah he fucking oh, murdered yeah. marge god oh my god heaven forbid he, oh, he touches he francis mcdormand person. <laughs> francis mcdormand should be protected at all costs he never but in- um He's just like, yeah. he's chilling yeah, and scary in a way that's complex because I don't believe that he's acting out of like malice or that he's doing something hurting people just to hurt people. He's blinded by his own belief and his own like delusion. And I think that's compelling because uh, he's such a physical actor where he's terrifying. And like he's kind of in control the entire movie and the way that he looks at everyone is so just like eerie and creepy. Um, So I think that he's just kind of uh, one of the reasons why I think this movie could be classified as like a thriller or like a horror movie because his presence when he's introduced changes the energy of the entire party, you know, regardless of Sadie, like when he shows up, that's when things get heightened. Yeah. So I, I appreciate his like influence, mm-hmm. like for sure. How about you, Evan? Um, to be honest, I was so torn because I, I would agree with both of you. Logan Marshall green, I think does a really good job. There are some moments where I'm like, I feel like he's still kind of green, <laughs> no pun intended to, <laughs> the like acting chops but he really does bring it out in this and it's amazing and john carroll lynch is like at his fucking top like every every movie i've seen him and he's an amazing character actor everything i've seen mm-hmm. him in, he's always somebody great he's also he plays like he's in fucking face off as like the asshole guard in the prison he's mm-hmm. the asshole guard well not really an asshole but in shutter island you know he's in fargo just everything he's he's an amazing actor he's also a great stage actor um, but I was really torn because there's a lot of great ones in here, but ones that stood out, I think, feel like the most is Tammy Blanchard plays Eden. Dude. I kind of want to put her up there because yeah, that is a very yeah. complex character to play. Yeah. However, um, I would say that's kind of my number one, but I do really want to give a shout out to um, Emiazzi Coronaldi, who Hell I yeah. have not, I don't think I've seen her in anything, and she doesn't have a whole lot to do in this, but like she doesn't get a whole lot of moments. But the moments that she shows, especially when everything breaks down, the scene where she's beating Pruitt over the head with the bottle, like her just immense fear and like terror and everything. She just emotes it so perfectly. Well, and like, her physicality. She, she plays, yeah, her yeah. physicality is pretty amazing. The way she reacts to every single situation or people being hurt, it's it's just mind-blowing and even that that the super touching moment where she's trying to to comfort will whether sitting out on the bench after he's had his penultimate sort of like blowout moment and he tells her like you know he apologizes later but he tells her you know like i love you but you can't help me and she's like well fine then fuck off but she's 
the way that she conveys her emotions of like, I want to be here for you. I don't have the answers. I just don't. But I want to be here to support you through what you're going through. Will you allow me to be in the situation with you? And mm -hmm. she's just every step of the way, she doesn't have a whole lot of moments to. Um, I feel like all the other characters have more moments than she does. But every time she does come to screen, she just sells it. She's she's Kira. And it's it's beautiful. I, I really want to give a shout out to her. Yeah, I mean, the, the way that I agree with you uh, for sure, Evan, like what I think sells it is like at the end when she's carrying Eden outside, she's supporting Helping. her partner and she's also showing this respect mm -hmm. for someone's she's understanding that her partner loves this woman and has been through a lot and is acknowledging that and supporting him and supporting her. And that's a beautiful moment that I think doesn't get enough credit and she just is, is such a strong figure who she, uh she's not asked to help she just jumps in to help pick up the feet she you see her like mm -hmm. kind of push herself off the wall and be like this has to be this moment and i'll admit maybe the reason why i love her acting in this movie is because of the character i feel like i really really like kira she seems like a solid cool person as a character um but i still think the acting she does it well well, like, like all of them, like the, the idea that you have like 12 characters and all of the actors who are representing them are all likable and you kind of know them like they have texture. They have kind of like not grit, but like everyone knows like a Ben type guy who's like the, you know, a jovial yeah. type who's like hey he's just trying to keep everyone, you know, having fun and good and stuff. And everyone knows like a Gina who's like. It's just like I, but they don't feel like cut out characters. Like they all feel lived in, and I appreciate that. Like they all, Kusama gives them all the space in the script. They'll have stories to tell. It's just it's it's great. I I don't know. Like I, I I think that they all feel like real characters, real people, and that all of the actors and the performances are subtle and super memorable. And that's something hard mm -hmm. to do in an ensemble cast like a big cast like this. We loved it. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing Destroyer with Nicole Kidman. Yeah, we're going to be up to date with Kusama's run. So that's going to be our most up to date film. And we, we definitely hope to see you all with us yeah. uh, continuing down this path. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Great review. Subscribe. We love you very much. Uh, find us on Twitter at Autours Vulgar or on Instagram at Autours Vulgar, uh, Vulgar Autours Podcast. So thanks everybody for listening. Sorry we had to rush this one out. We're having a lot of technical difficulties. So we love you. Thank you again for listening. It's been fun. And please don't forget to hug yourself. We invite you to go hug yourself. <laughs> yes. Accept our invitation to fucking hug yourself. <laughs>